Welcome to the Wisdom and Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Clues. Each week, I'll be leading a series of conversations with our team here at Carson Wealth, which are designed to equip our listeners with the helpful insights necessary to simplify the critical decision points of life. We believe that true wealth is the thing money cannot buy and death cannot take away. Furthermore, we also believe our calling is to enable others to fulfill their own. And to that end, we endeavor. Welcome in again to part three of my conversation with Sarah Dewey from our trust services team in Omaha and Tom Frederick from our advanced solutions team in Omaha on healthcare powers of attorney. Join us for today's conversation as we dive into who exactly in your life needs this process, how this process changes at various stages of life, and also what to consider in the event of mental illness or the onset of dementia. Welcome back into our conversation. And so as I think about this with, you know, the different folks that could be in our audience listening to this, you know, I think about it from, okay, I, I need to have this conversation with my parents, but I also need to have conversations around my kids um, and, and things of that nature. So from the, from the kid's perspective or even a grandkid's perspective, um, how old does a child need to be when they get their first healthcare power of attorney? Mm-hmm. Well, it's nice when the kids are young and you have to um, provide consent. It's very easy. I mean, it's it's not a good situation, but it's at least, you know, your role. Here I am. I'm their parent and I can give that consent. It gets more gray or it's actually black and white once they reach the age of adulthood. And so in most states, that's age 18. There are a few out there like Nebraska, where it is age 19. So once the child reaches that age of adulthood where they're treated legally as an adult, even though they may not have all the full adulting skills going on, uh, they have the ability to make their own healthcare decisions on their own behalf. And so if something were to happen to your child who's 18 and they're incapacitated, it's not just assumed that you as their parent have the right to make that decision on their behalf. So ideally, a nice graduation gift or birthday gift at age 18 or 19 is going to be, hey, um, here, along with the toaster oven for your dorm room is uh, your healthcare power return. Now, most kids won't, you know, thank you or give you a big hug for it, but because they don't understand how important it is, but it really is something that should be done um, by parents for their kids who are reaching that age of adulthood. Sounds like a perfect gift to give if you're like a great uncle with a quirky sense of humor um, at, at graduation. <laughs> um, so I, am, I did think of this as you were you were speaking, and this kind of ties into the traveling piece. If we're leaving our kids, um, you know, my spouse and I are going on a vacation. What would be your best practices, Sarah and Tom? Um, you know, in the event that you know, hey, we're going to be gone for a period of days or maybe even a week. Um, you know, if we're leaving, say, the kids with the grandparents, what would be a best practice in that case? I think making sure you have a medical consent form in place is a step in the right direction, Josh. Many pediatricians' offices or children's hospitals have these forms, and they're probably even available online to download. So what you're doing is you're saying, you know, we're away. We're away during this time period. We temporarily give, you know, my sister, if she's taking care of my kids, for example, my minor children, the ability to make decisions and treat 
my children, take them to the hospital, take them to the doctor, and then make sure that the person taking care of your children has copies of this and that they're available. So mm-hmm. that would be a step in the right direction. Um, again, a million things to think about when you're getting ready to go on vacation, woohoo, a kid-free vacation. <laughs> and then, you know, I have to think about that, but you're thinking of everything else that the kids might need and you may as well add that to the list of things to just have in order. So what I'm gleaning from this is I never have permission not to worry is essentially what I'm gleaning from this. Darn it. I know. Adulting is hard. (laughs) Got it. Um, So shifting still in the same vein of when should we update our our power of attorney, but um, shifting to maybe our situation or even our parents, aging parents situation can the onset of mental illness um, change our ability to update or compress our ability to update healthcare powers of attorney um, or, or even put them in place if, if they've gotten out of date or if they haven't been put in place them, themselves. Definitely. Um, but it, it will depend, of course, because as we know, the onset of dementia or a mental illness is oftentimes gray and there are good days mm-hmm. and bad days. Um, the, the, the lawyer answer is that in most states, uh, unless the adult has been adjudged incompetent or unless a legal guardian has been appointed for the adults, the presumption is that they're competent for purposes of executing a power of attorney. And again, this is in most states. So it's almost like you have the burden to prove that they're not competent to execute this power of attorney unless there's that legal guardian. Um, I had a situation where the client uh, ended up being diagnosed with schizophrenia And he had already um, executed an estate plan, but then his family got involved and wanted to get a legal guardian put in place for him, a guardianship and a conservatorship, but he'd already executed this estate plan. So we had to work with him and help him actually get a third party psychologist to analyze that he did have the legal capacity to execute this estate plan. And that sort of trumped the uh, guardianship conservatorship in the court. It was a very interesting case. So each and every time that he would go to change his estate plan, to update it, um, to change his beneficiaries, we would have this third party psychologist sort of analyze him and make sure that he knew what he was doing. So that's one way to get around it if there's a lot of question around whether this person has competency to be able to execute the plan or change the plan. Mm, Interesting. So Tom, with that in mind, is is it ever too late update your power of attorney um, from from your perspective? Not not really, in in the sense that as long as you have that legal capacity to talk to an attorney, to understand what you're doing uh, by naming an agent to make decisions on your behalf, then you really should be able to make any changes to your healthcare or power of attorney that you'd like to make. So if your situation changes, and these are, you know, oftentimes considered like life events, somebody dies, uh, somebody gets married or divorced. These are the types of life events that sometimes influence you or create the impetus for you to make changes to your estate plan. And um, specifically around the healthcare or power of attorney, that might even be related to your health condition changing. There might be a health event in your life that tells you, oh, I really need to look at this again. Uh, 
to make sure that what I put in here and who I assigned as my agent reflects my current feelings around the type of care I want, because the older you get, that might change your, your thoughts and desires around care and technology might change. You might see something that, you know, that, you know, is an available treatment and think, I don't want he- anything to do with that type of treatment. Mm-hmm. And, or you might say, Hey, that's for me, sign me up. And so there are things that are going on in society in your personal life that might drive you to make those changes. And as long as you have the capacity to do do so, then I would encourage individuals to make the changes that they want to make to their document so that it is going to reflect exactly what they want, the type of care they want to to receive in in the future. Well, that is all for today. We appreciate your time and trust that you are better equipped to steward both your wealth and your financial resources. If you have questions or suggestions for a future topic, please direct those to infohouston at carsonwealth.com. Thank you again for joining us today. May you and your family encounter truth, beauty, and goodness on the road ahead. The opinions voiced in the Wisdom and Wealth podcast of advisor and host are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, please consult your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities and advisory services offered through Satera Advisory Networks, LLC broker-dealer, and a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services also offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Satara Advisor Networks LLC is under separate ownership from the other named entity. Josh Clues is a non-producing registered representative of Satara Advisor Networks LLC. Our local address is 1780 Hughes Landing, Suite 570, Woodlands, Texas, 77380. Generally, a donor-advised fund is a separately identified fund or account that is maintained and operated by a Section 501c3 organization, which is called a sponsoring organization. Each account is composed of contributions made by individual donors. Once the donor makes the contribution, the organization has legal control over it. However, the donor or the donor's representative retains the advisory privileges with respect to the distribution of the funds and the investment of assets in the account. Donors take a tax deduction for all contributions at the time they are made, even though the money may not be dispersed to the charity until much later.